how do you want to show up to the team that you're on? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that sound like? And then what do you want for your team? So the folks that you work with, what do you want that experience to be like? And what's the part that you play? And then what do you want from your team? Hey, I'm Harrison. When was the last time you had a deep, meaningful conversation with somebody? If it's been a while, don't worry. You're in the right place. This podcast is designed to open your mind to new perspectives and topics in the realms of health, personal growth, and well, life. Welcome to the Let's Talk About Life podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Let's Talk About Life podcast. My name is Harrison King, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in and joining me here today on the Let's Talk About Life podcast. It is uh, truly a pleasure to be able to share these conversations with you and, and chat with you on a weekly basis like this. I hope you have enjoyed the season so far. This episode is definitely going to enrich your life quite an incredible guest that we have on there. But before we get to that, I want to do a little talk about a product from my good friends at Natural Academy. That's right. You know them. You love them. Marissa and Andrew over at Natural Academy have made these Natural Blocks blue light blocking glasses. They are the best quality blue light blocking glasses in Canada, and they block out 88 to 100% of the harmful blue light spectrum which is gonna be screens, you know, stuff, fluorescent lights, things like that that are just not the sun, <laughs> right? And by wearing these, you're gonna be able to fix your health, adjust your circadian rhythm and get better sleep, which is very important. We've talked about that on here before. And uh, you're gonna feel better overall. I've reduced my headaches. You definitely wanna grab a pair of them. And uh, the reason you wanna grab a pair of them is because these block out, like I said, 88 to 100% of the harmful blue light spectrum. And those like $12 ones you're gonna get from Amazon, they, they block out like two, 3% sometimes, maybe maybe a little more on a good day, right? But you definitely want to grab some of these. They're stylish, they're awesome, and they're affordable. So you can head on over to naturalacademy.com, grab yourself a pair of natural blocks, and you can use the code Harrison10 when you check out, and you're going to get 10% off your purchase just for listening to the show. That's it. So head on over there and grab that. They're wonderful. I love these glasses. I wear them all the time. That's why I talk about them all the time, because they're just, you really need to get yourself a pair. All right? Yeah. Now... The guest today, like I said, very unique, very incredible perspective, and he's done a lot of cruel th- cool things. Um, not cruel, not cruel things. He's done a lot of cool things. <laughs> um, AJ Mises is a former um, HR global leader at Facebook. That's right. You heard me. Facebook. He was in HR at Facebook, and now he talks a little bit about it, but not, not HR in the sense of you know, compensation and benefits and that kind of thing. He was helping kind of sculpt leaders. It was a lot of coaching. And he's since moved on from that recently. And he's doing some some other things. He is the CEO of The Human Reach, which is a human potential institute guiding high-achieving professionals to land their dream careers in record time and coaching Silicon Valley leaders to be thoughtful, effective leaders. So he's all about leadership and personal development, and it's great to chat with him. He has, again, so many great things to say, and he's done a lot of career coaching and and helping, like, thousands of people, teams of thousands of people, right? And uh, there's a lot of knowledge that comes from being in a position like that. So with that being said, let's dive into my chat with AJ. Uh, AJ, thanks so much for joining me here today. I'm excited to, to have you all the way from San Francisco. We're down, uh, I'm up in Canada here, so it's pretty neat that we can do this over uh, <laughs> over Zoom like this. Thanks for being here. And you, you've had an incredible story. Uh, you've done a lot of stuff. And most notably, I think we should tell the listeners, you worked at Facebook, right? 
The good old book of face. Yes. <laughs> yep. I, I did. And Harrison, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I'd like to start off by kind of getting to know what you did there because it was, it was, I got it here. I just want to clarify global HR leader is one of what you say, right? So what does that entail and what did you do? And then let's dive into some of the stuff you did because you were, you know, supporting global teams of like a lot of people. So that's not something, you know, the average person gets to do. So it's nice to get to chat about it. So I guess, yeah, give us a little backstory on what you did there. Yeah. So uh, I was a yeah global HR leader at Facebook for about four years. I left supporting a group of 3000 people globally. And so I had a team of HR folks uh, where our job was to help support the growth and development of the organization that we supported. Um, and so it was in the business unit of Facebook. And when I say business, it just means non-engineering roles. And so, yeah, my, so it's kind of funny that the way that the HR role is structured at Facebook is it is primarily a coaching role. And so a lot of times when I talk about, you know, my experience as an HR leader, people think, oh, compensation benefits, um, you know, helping people out with maternity leaves. Um, we had a great team at Facebook that helped with all of that stuff, but the HR leader role or the HR business partner roles, main purpose is to coach and help develop leaders in terms of how they're showing up to support their teams, how they're designing their teams, how they're developing the people on, on their teams. So very similar to you in terms of, you know, the ethos behind why you started this podcast, all about growth and personal development. And so um, my job is to be a partner, was to be a partner in that growth. What's something that you found working with some smart people, right? Like you're working alongside and, and it's a big, big name company, which I guess is not really relevant, but what are kind of some patterns and things you started, you learned that you kind of had to teach or, or share, like common things that people needed help with, I guess, in that, in that area. Um, and how did you approach, you know, helping people through that stuff? Yeah. So, uh, I'd say there's probably one or two main themes that constantly arise and, uh, not only just at Facebook, which I think just in general right now in the workplace and especially, especially in the last year since the pandemic hit, and I think the first is, you know, how to be a really great leader, how to, how to inspire and get results through other people versus, you know, a lot of leaders come and most of us start from being an independent contributor before being a leader. So how do you make that transition to getting results on your own versus inspiring others to get results um, and, and to hit team goals? And so at Facebook, you know, it's a, it's a young company in that there's a lot of new leaders um, in the organization. So a lot of my work over the, over those four years was really bringing leaders up to speed, how to have great one-on-ones with your directs, how to inspire people in, t in your team syncs that you're having. How do you design your team in a way that gets results? How do you grow people on your team? How do you have great career conversations with folks? So, uh, it, you know, kind of run, ran the gamut, but, um, those are some, some major topics for sure. And, and, would you say that like to get to that place, did you like personally coach people or was it mostly just big teams or was it like individual one-on-one -on -one stuff? So both. So uh, I designed a few different programs at Facebook. Uh, one of which is called leader launch, which is a, which is a way to incorporate new leaders into the Facebook ecosystem and coach them up to a place where they could feel really confident showing up as a leader. Um, but then yes, a lot of my role too is, was coaching one-on-one, -on -one, especially our senior leaders, director, VP level um, type folks. Okay. I asked that because I'm curious when you're, these are people that are then going on to lead teams. I've talked a lot about it on this podcast and even you already like hinted at it, that those people need to be able to lead themselves, manage themselves before doing that. What's some, again, like big things that come up in that sense. Cause I think it's a hard thing 
for anybody to go into a leadership position. But when you don't know how to manage yourself, how are you supposed to manage a team of people, right? Yeah, totally. So there are three big questions that I always asked new leaders as they were either joining the organization or they were they they moved into a leadership role. So the first question that I would always ask, and we would just have kind of a coaching conversation around was, how do you want to show up for your team? How do you want to show up? And setting some intention behind what that looks like, what that feels like, what that sounds like. Um, so that as that leader was embarking on meeting with their team for the first time or, or getting to know folks, there was some intentionality behind the, the how and the why. So that's number one. Number two was what do you want for your team? What do you want for them? What do you, what do you, as a result of being on this team, working on whatever goal um, your team was uh, at, at Facebook to do, what do you want for them? Do you want them to feel trusted? Do you want them to feel like they're safe? Do you want them to feel that they have growth opportunities? You know, really deciding what those things are, because that helps fuel your intentionality. And that helps also um, demystify anything that your team might be thinking about what you want for them or how or what, what you expect. Um, and so a lot of the things that I, I talk about with new leaders is about psychological safety. And so that question kind of helps build in some psychological sa uh, safety. And then the third question that I ask them is what do you want from your team? So in exchange for the role that you play as the leader on the team, what do you want from them in return? Uh, and and how do you create that radical transparency? Right. It's leading from a place of, of value, like what it's not necessarily obviously there were tasks to get done things you needed to goals you need to hit or whatever but less focus on that to start more focus on why are we doing this what's what's the plan how, how can we apply that to ourselves if you're not you know managing a team at facebook as most people aren't <laughs> how do you apply those those um themes and and leading with that value in your own life yeah so it's my philosophy that a leader is no more senior than any individual contributor on the team. They just play a different role. And one of the beautiful things about Facebook is that you can make just as much money as your manager. You can sometimes make more money than your manager um, if you're an independent contributor. So, so Facebook was really unique in the fact that we wanted people who were in leadership roles to be a leader. So therefore, as an, as an independent contributor, if you're not a leader, you can apply those same three questions to you because you just play a different role. Your, your job maybe isn't to help shepherd the team or make sure everybody's on the same page, et cetera. Your job is to do your role and of course, to work well with the other folks on your team. Um, but you can still answer those questions just the same. What? How do you wanna show up to the team that you're on? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that sound like? Or for how, yourself. Yeah, how do you wanna show up for yourself? Yeah, how do you, how do you wanna take care of yourself? I love that, that's a great point. And then what do you want for your team? So the folks that you work with, what do you want that experience to be like? And what's the part that you play? And then what do you want from your team? And I, th I think like, you know, a lot of companies, especially like the old school companies, I won't name names, but they, they don't have this like radical transparency about that. Right. They there's, especially these old companies have been around hundreds of years, right. They really take the the stance that you should be in your role. you you do your job nine to five and you go home. And what we're finding more and more, especially in 2021 is that people want the integration of who they are as a person into their work. And they may have other outside things in their life that you know, th that, that they pursue, but especially side hustles, that's becoming a huge thing right now in 2021. But how do you bring your whole self to work so that you're not wearing a mask? Um, and I think those types of questions help get to the root of those things. So you're, you're being your authentic true self.
Yeah, and you're saying about old school companies. I think there's a lot of people making changes also to adapt with the younger generation who is really wanting, you know, coming to the workforce and really wanting that. You're talking about what can I bring? What can I bring to this? And what do I want back? It's that, like you said, that transparency, which I don't think, again, I have, I, you know, I haven't worked at a big old company or anything like this. This is all just outside kind of opinion. But when you're like, being told exactly what here's exactly what you do and you don't have any there's no conversation it's not like what i'm trying to say i think it's really important what you said about knowing what the company can what do you want from it as well and being okay with that because i think do you find there's pushback there because we've been conditioned a certain way (laughs) yeah i think so and i think you know what do i want to say about this i think there's a lot of um shifting that's going on in terms of how companies are having conversations with their employees and also the role that HR plays in in that conversation and in that design of the culture um, on the team. And so one of my favorite phrases is, you know, the the culture, uh, the best measurement for culture is the worst behavior that the company tolerates. Yeah, and so um, if, if companies and, and leaders and teams can understand that, you know, we're, we're going to be really intentional about how we're showing up to the team. And we're, we're not going to tolerate stuff that's going to derail that, or that's going to force people to be inauthentic, then, then you're golden. Um, that's the, that's the Mecca. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is a lot of, um, kind of more corporate stuff, but I really want to dive into, I know you, you like to talk about imposter syndrome and, and this is a very interesting topic I like to talk about, and I'd like to learn more about, can you start off by just Telling the people what what is imposter syndrome? A lot of people, I think, know what it is, but they don't know maybe that phrase. You know what it means. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, my take on imposter syndrome is self doubt, and it's when you are looking at yourself within the system in which you operate. So, whether that's at a you know a, something you do outside of work or in work, and constantly comparing yourself to those around you and having self doubt about the way in which you fit in to that ecosystem. And a lot of the research shows, um, in terms of, of the experience of imposter syndrome, that really it's, uh, this around this concept of avoidance and avoiding having conversations with yourself, your manager, your peers, whatever about how you're showing up and then creating a narrative false or true around what that means. Yeah. And I want to touch on a little bit about how common this is because you would know better than anyone we've been working with a lot of people especially in the role right you were in but i think and i've I've been here you know and and even recently and and i think it's like i'm feeling like this but everybody else has it figured out right everybody else has it figured out does everybody else have it figured out (laughs) (laughs) hell no (laughs) no way i mean i will say that i experienced imposter syndrome my first year at facebook and it was it's quite common i will say at facebook for people when they join in any large tech company i would say google microsoft any of the fang companies um to feel like you don't belong and like how the f did i get this job everybody else is so smart around me they know so many people and they have so much context how the hell am i going to fit into this And I think for me, I'll talk from personal experience, the biggest aid to my getting over imposter syndrome 
was time and was understanding and going on listening tours and, and just seeking to understand versus trying to impress people. And I think that's a lot of uh, the root of imposter syndrome too, is that like, whoa, I feel like I need to contribute or I need to say something or I need to be X, Y, Z or show up in this way in a, in a meeting. But for me, it was about relaxing and not having those high expectations of myself to contribute like those that had been there for three, four, five years, but really understanding the context in which I operated and understanding understanding the, the landscape of what existed around me and telling myself over and over that I know what the F I'm doing. And I just, I just need to understand the context a little bit more so that I can provide some value and just be patient and being patient with myself. Now, easier said than done, of course, yeah, of course, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. hindsight's always 2020, but the, um, the concept of just, of being patient and being kind with yourself. So like realizing when you're having those negative self-talk moments, and asking yourself, is what I'm saying to myself about myself serving me or is it not? And if it's not serving you, having a meta moment with yourself to cut that shit out. I like to do this really interesting exercise with my uh, either clients or, you know, the folks that I work with um, around internal family systems. Have you heard, have you heard of this concept? A little bit, but you, know, you should dive into it. <laughs> okay. So internal family systems basically is this philosophy that as we grow up, we have different voices or different parts of us that all add value. So we may have a voice in ourselves that's telling us that we suck or that we're not smart enough. Why are we here, et cetera. And then we have that conflicting voice. That's like, you can do this. You're great. Like you, you're, you're going to have, um, such so, so much impact here, right? It's, it's that conflict that creates imposter syndrome in ourselves. And so one of the, the things you can do is just recognize that, that both of these parts of you bring value. So for instance, this part of us that says you suck, you're not smart enough, whatever, think about what value does that side of you bring? So for me, right, it's like, they're trying to protect me. Um, they're trying to make sure that I don't mess up or that I don't show up in a, in a weird way, um, on, uh, and on a group call and telling, you know, protecting me really. And then that other voice, the value that they bring is like the cheerleader, the confidant, the, the person that's going to rally me to get through whatever thing I'm working on. And so when you can realize that both of these have value, they're not bad, especially the one that's telling me that I suck. There's just value there. Right. And, and for me, it was protection. How can you negotiate between both of those voices in your head so that they come to an agreement around how they're going to, how, how they're going to show up and, and, and what's going to feel good to, to show up the right way. So the, the exercise is a little bit more deep than that, but that's the main, the main concept of it. Is there a middle ground to that? Cause you're talking pretty extreme. Like, you know, I suck. I'm amazing. What's, what's in the middle of that? Cause I think there's, that's a thing too, right? Yeah. So that's the, that's that, that's the agreement. That's the negotiation that you make between those two voices. That's the middle ground. And that requires this, Hey, your brain, right? You need to, that's not, the other ones are kind of subconscious what you're, what I'm getting from you, right? This, these just happen bad. They're kind of angel devil on your shoulder type thing. Right. But in between that, that's a good analogy, I guess, you know, in between that's your head and you need to analyze the situation. Come from, coming from a, um, like a perspective of, of understanding and learning is really what I'm getting from you, right? Like for those situations and you said, you know, it took time, however many years or however long it took you when you were there to, to be like, okay, I'm, I'm here. It's okay. But trying to learn what's happening around you instead of just saying, yeah, I, I suck. I shouldn't be here. Learn, learn things. Um, yeah. 
One brain science tells us a lot about this too. So the amygdala and the cortex in your brain, right? So the amygdala is responsible for the emotional response of, of everything that, that happens in our life. So, you know, when we touch something hot, they're the thing that's saying at like that hurts, um, that, you know, not that it's bad or good, but ow, that hurts. And then our cortex is saying that will kill me. So I need to avoid things that, that are going to kill me. And so constantly in our brains, we're having conversations between our amygdala, the emotional response and the cortex, which is trying to help you avoid things that are going to make you die. <laughs> and, and so, and, and, and we tend to go to that extreme realm because that's just how we're hardwired. And so having a, again, a meta moment with yourself in those moments of panic or in those moments of uncertainty, and, and really sometimes asking yourself, is this something that's going to kill me? Is it really that bad? Or is it, is it just my brain trying to help me avoid things that are uncomfortable? Right. The challenge becomes when those feelings are overwhelming and you can't see outside of it though. Yeah. Right. How do you get out of that situation when it's like, wait, now, I mean, you're talking, okay, makes sense. You analyze the situation. It's easy to, like you said, hindsight's 2020. You you can know that. But when you're in the situation and you really feel like, why am I here? Like, or, or anything really, how do you bring in that, that, that brain, the analytical mind to go, this is what's happening and analyze it when you just are full emotion? Yeah. Literally the question is just going to kill me. Like, because when we have that spiral i call it the self-sabotaging spiral of death where you're really, <laughs> <laughs> i like that you're you're really like in your amygdala right you're in your feelings um isn't i think there's a song about that um but you're you're in your feelings too much and you you're not actually rationalizing the feelings and so that is again back to the brain science your cortex is literally uh, keeping you in that amygdala spiral because it wants you to avoid uncertainty and it wants you to avoid your brain's trying to keep you alive right yeah it's trying to keep you alive exactly and so literally saying like saying to myself is this going to kill me or is this just really difficult right now and it's okay if it's difficult right and it's okay if it's difficult it's not going to kill me it's not going to kill me exactly Hmm. that's interesting it's a nice way to it's a good way to look at it it's a simple question it's pretty harsh question but if it ever comes to that we know what's gonna you know if it's just a meeting you know, you're not going to die from feeling like you're not fitting in at a meeting. It'll pass, you know, everything. It's a good way to, it's a good way to go about it. So this is one way you actually answered a question I already had about how we can uh, approach uh, imposter syndrome. And now you said you've, you've gone through it. I'd like you to talk a little bit about your experience, if you don't mind, like kind of specifics when you arrive there, I would imagine anybody, any kind of big company, like you said, I mean, it's like, you've heard so much about it. Everybody knows what Facebook is, right? You go there. It's like, it's like, the thing you arrive and you're like, why me? You know, why am I here? And I, I've found from personal experience also, when you're in a situation like that, you're, you're there for a reason. Like you got there because you, they wouldn't have hired you or or like asked to work with you if you didn't know what you were doing, especially a company like that. But that analytical mind, it's hard to, it's hard to realize that and, and still feel like you're, you know, you shouldn't be there. So yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your personal experience? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So when I joined, I, you know, Facebook is everybody, like you said, everybody knows Facebook and it was, it's one of the top companies to work for in the world, whether you believe in the product or you don't like there's, there's, it's one of the top companies. And so, you know, there's a lot of, um, comparing that happens for me, that happened for me as I was joining the company and, you know, am I showing up like so-and-so and, or oh, I'm seeing this person achieve X, Y, Z thing. Why haven't I achieved that yet? And really seeking these external pieces of validation versus 
validation just for what I was doing and, and recognizing where I was. So like I was comparing people to like, you know, at my three month mark that had been there for like four years and how the hell am I going to be able to accomplish <laughs> right. it? Right. I get, it's easy for me to say now, but at the time that's what I was experiencing. And so an analogy that I've, I've kind of connected this to is when you learned how to drive for the first time. So Harrison, um, how old were you when you started learning how to drive? 15, I believe. 15, same here. And who taught you how to drive? Uh, my mom. Your mom. Okay, great. And before you got in that car behind the driver's seat for the first time, were you scared? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, right. terrified. Right. Why? Because I'd never done it before. And it's like, I don't know what, I, ah, it's just scary. Yeah. Yeah, I'm it's driving this huge chunk of metal. I could kill somebody. I don't even, I could kill us. Yeah. Why <laughs> me? The, Same car. deal, I guess. Yeah. Right. And then as you start learning and, and having more experiences, right, you have that car that cuts you off for the first time, or you get on the freeway for the first time, you learn how to accelerate to 65 miles an hour, right? That stuff becomes more and more known and more to you. And so therefore, when you, when you take your driver's test, when you're 16, you pass the exam, you've experienced a lot of different things you had not experienced before that make you comfortable to be an expert or somewhat of an expert, right? At 16. <laughs> and so for me, you know, it was really realizing like, yeah, like this happens all the time in life where we enter into these new situations that we're scared about. And so we're constantly trying to absorb information, take things in and learn things so that we become comfortable. And so that, that was a helpful thing for me to think about. Like, I just, it's not that I'm, I can't do it. It's just that I haven't done it yet. And so I need to experience that uncomfortability so that I become comfortable. Yeah. It reminds me of a thing I had a, I had a professor actually talk about something being really hard, right? Like this is extremely challenging. I can't do it. But he goes, well, it's not, it's not hard. It's just unfamiliar. Right. And that's, I think that was a fabulous way to, I've never heard it expressed that way. And it's so true, you know, driving a car was hard first time you do it right like learning walking was hard obviously you don't probably remember but you know those things are really challenging but it's not that they're necessarily hard you know we walk everywhere now we drive everywhere now it's just that it was a new thing and and I would have never honestly with like when we think about imposter syndrome I automatically think of a career work you know like the office whatever and, and maybe school or something like that but not necessarily like learning to drive a car, right? Or learning to cook a new meal or any kind of thing like that, right? A new relationship, all of that stuff. We have those same feelings, but we're, we don't approach it in the same way because we're like, well, we will figure it out. Like other people have done it. I think the challenge with the corporate imposter syndrome is it's the, it's the very much unknown because it's a brand new thing. You may have never experienced it. There might be other people that have never experienced it. So it's like, what? this is, you know, it's scary and, and trying to approach it from that learning, you know, like I want to absorb and learn is hard. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that also kind of brings up this concept of failure, right? This fear of failure that we have. And so one of the other helpful things that's been a guiding light in my life, um, and it was put in a really nice way in somebody I was talking to a couple of weeks ago, which was when you experience failure, it is a failed event. You are not the failure. The event perhaps was a failure, but you didn't fail the thing that you were trying was. So, uh, you know, detaching yourself from a label, if that makes sense, and more to the like thing that happened. Situation versus I am the situation, right? Yeah, like, the yeah. self versus the situation. Yeah, 100%. This is phenomenal. I love it. You also talk a lot about like human potential, right? And and I want you to dive in a little bit about that because it's totally tied into self-improvement and personal growth and stuff. But I think 
just on like first kind of thought in my head obviously we have a lot more potential as humans than we think we do and we've talked about a lot of things that i think would <laughs> you know why you know um we're kind of holding ourselves back but what have you found that people like are there any specific stories or situations where you've you've coached people or or, or talked to people where you've, you've fixed like one little thing and then they just like like a what's the word limiting like a limiting belief or something and then they're just like accelerated I'd be curious about some of those success stories and, and maybe things to look for, you know, to unlock our full potential or more of it, at least. Yeah. The meta theme that exists when we talk about reaching our potential is, uh, and I talked about this earlier, was just the concept of avoidance and what you're avoiding by not pursuing the thing that you really, really want. And most of the time, it's that you are avoiding being uncomfortable. And like I just mentioned, some of those other things. And so what's really great about avoidance is that it's great at instantly making us feel better about whatever we're thinking about. Right. So like, you know, you think about, you know, I don't know, I'm just say like auditioning for a musical or something like that. Right. The, the choice to not audition for that musical is great at instantly helping you feel better because you don't have to worry about singing in front of somebody or being rejected or, you know, doing something in front of people that you don't know. But if you love being an actor, if you love musical theater, what's going to get you into that onto that stage is the audition. Right. And so going into that space of uncomfortability. And so uh, again, the amygdala cortex conversation is definitely at play um, in those types of situations. But I'll say like maybe a story that I'll tell is I was working with somebody who really wanted to get out of a sales role. And she was working for a very well-known company and uh, really wanted to get in, into um, health and wellness. And one of the things that she, uh, she's really passionate about was um, working with others to reach their fitness goals or to lose weight or to realize what they can accomplish with their bodies. And she was making a crap ton of money at this sales role. And so one of the things that she was avoiding was, well, I don't, or maybe a self-limiting belief. I don't think I can make as much money as I do in, in the sales role. So therefore I'm not going to pursue this health and wellness thing, which is something that I'm really passionate about. So through a lot of work together and through a lot of understanding, really what it was is that she, it wasn't that she couldn't make a lot of money is that she didn't know if she could make as much money as she was in the sales role, but her brain, her cortex, right. was saying, Nope, you can't make it. You can't make the same amount of money. So you shouldn't even pursue it. So she wasn't having conversations with people in that field. She wasn't understanding what types of roles existed in that field because of that self-loading belief that, that we all come with. And so sometimes it's not about having an A to Z plan of what you want. It's about having an A to B plan. So instead of, you know, the ultimate decision of, oh, I'm not going to pursue it. What we worked through first was how can you go have five conversations with people in the health and wellness space about what they do, their compensation and how they're fulfilled from their jobs, just to understand what exists. Right. Immerse yourself in it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And just seek information versus telling your brain, telling you a crystal ball version of what it is. And so after those conversations, she was like, holy crap actually I can make as much money as I was and I don't have to be worried about that part. And so that spiraled into her having conversations with her dream company and starting to interview for a role within the health and wellness space. Whereas like four weeks earlier, she was saying, hell no, I can't even pursue this because it's not, it's not even an option. So, 
So again, it's that amygdala cortex response and just having that A to B plan versus the A to Z plan. The A to B plan, but also knowing what the end is, like where you would like to go. But instead of saying, let's jump all the way from A to A to Z, right? What's the step, you know, a little tiny step like that. It's just a conversation. Obviously, you can go have a conversation. That's not that's not hard. And and, and it takes you towards, you know, where you want to go. This makes me think of something. And I don't remember specifically who said, who said it, but they were talking about awareness. He goes, everything is just awareness, whether it's you are aware of something or it's a lack of awareness. For example, in this situation, she was just not aware that she could be making the same amount of money doing this job. Or the other you know, thing is somebody's making $50,000 a year. They're not aware that they could be making $100,000 a year or $100,000 a month or $100,000 a day or whatever, right? Like they're just not aware that it's possible taking the steps you're talking about to, to be aware of that can really change what, you know, your situation is. Right. And I keep telling people like, if you can create a crystal ball, you let me know because we'll go make some millions somewhere. But our brain tries to create crystal balls for us all the time. And it's about recognizing when it's happening and then going and doing something about it. Yeah. What are, what are characteristics of people that inherently utilize more of their kind of potential, you could say, than others like what are what are characteristics or, or similarities or things that you found that those i would say successful people but that's a very broad word you know what what are things that they're doing maybe that other people aren't that is allowing them to not maybe have that lack of awareness or those limiting beliefs or things like that i think the number one thing is a relentless pursuit for self-development and a radical approach to their self-limiting beliefs. Like they've, they've gotten really, really good at understanding like what's actually true and what is just a belief or a system or a social construct. And that sounds really sciencey, but the, the folks that I've worked with are, uh, that are the most successful that advance in their careers, that get what they want, that break through the things that, that are holding them back are the ones that are constantly investing in themselves, you know, reading, you know, self-improvement books, uh, you know, watching Ted talks, um, are aware about aware of the meta self. And what I mean by that is like, they can actually look down at what's actually happening and how they're performing, how they're showing up and analyze that versus being stuck in the self. Like a third, uh, third person view almost of yourself, right? Yes. Yeah. To, to separate yourself from that. That makes sense. Yeah. I, maybe those are three things I'd see. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was going to say, and I guess you kind of covered a little bit like things like like health, like um, physical health and, and taking care of yourself and then spiritual health and, and all of that stuff. Uh, does that play a large role? Yeah, absolutely. I think people who have pursuits outside of their nine to five, um, what they do day to day, absolutely are typically more aligned and healthy. Um, they, they realize I, th- Oh, well, and I'll say the other constant theme is that people um, work to live versus living to work. So have this approach to their life where, you know, their job is not who they are. It's, it's really about, you know, doing cool stuff and working with great people. That's all fine and well, but it's not everything. It's right. Your purpose isn't your job, right? Like you have a purpose, but the job fulfills it. How do you get there though? That's the question. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think life brings us different seasons of what's important to us. So there may be a season in your life where, yeah, your work is your life because you're super stoked about it and it is everything, right? I was just having a conversation with 
a client yesterday who was like, yeah, like five years ago, that was my jam. And she just had a baby like a year ago She and she's pregnant again. And she's at this point now where she doesn't like her work is not as important to her at this point. She wants to work with great team and she wants to be in a creative role, but really it's about finding a job that supports her and her family. Um, and that allows her to spend time with her family. I think that's probably the, the key thing there. And if you were to ask her five years ago, right, it'd be the complete opposite. So I think also just understanding that we, we can want and desire different things depending on the season that we're at in our life. And so just because you want your job to be the main focus, that's okay. And if that changes, that is okay too. Yeah. It's that like kind of sliding, shifting scale of values like we're talking about and, and what you want out of because yeah, things change. And I think we get so caught up in this is what I want right now is what I want for the rest of my life. This is a, this is a common theme and problem, I would say, in the kind of self-development world where there is a lot of also here are kind of the steps to make everything great, but less sometimes, not always, but I, I have found like less about things do change, you know, and, and like you said, like people are like, well, you shouldn't be working all the time, right? Or whatever. But maybe at this point in your life for the next four months, maybe that's all it is. You're working a lot and you love it. That's okay, you know, and, and to, to know that it's okay is is hard when, when we're not kind of being told that that's okay, right? On an average, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And this like validation thing that we see, right? Of our like competition of, you know, I see so-and-so doing X, so I should be wanting to do X. Um, I was talking with another client this week too, and he was having a really huff, tough time because he come, came from a family, you know, very, very smart family, came to the US, works at a very well-known tech company here in the US. Um, and he's seeing all of his friends from B-School getting promoted to, you know, VP or director, all these different things. And he's like, I feel like I should be doing that. And I'm feeling like a lot of self-doubt because I'm not there yet, but I don't know that I really even want that. But like this feeling of self-doubt is coming from these external pressures or like what these other people could potentially think about me because I'm not at XYZ place. And so to your point, Harrison, around values, really like having a conversation to yourself about where you are in this season of life. What, what do you value in your life? Do, you know, what brings you joy? What brings you fulfillment? And, and why is that important to you right now? And then using that as a list of criteria that you can kind of check or minus on if that's working for you right now. And not what is not what is Joe Schmo going to think of you if you're in the XYZ role, but what is important to you? Right. Because you might get there. You might get where they are or or higher or below, whatever. It doesn't matter. You might end up in that situation. But it's you're talking about kind of making a list, right? Like making a list of what you want and where you are and comparing the two. It's the same. It's the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And 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 the the way in which somebody else got to where they are is, is according to their values. And so why would we hold ourselves to somebody else's values, right? That's not being authentic. Or try to follow that. the same path that they've done. It doesn't make any sense. Right, exactly. Their circumstances are completely different from ours. Um, there might be some overlap, but they are, for the most part, different. So yeah, I think just being kind to ourselves in that way. Yeah, and I, I think this is an overall theme that I continue to come back to is is the being kind to yourself, finding your inner value. But it is one of the reasons we talk about it all the time is because people, it's hard to do. And, and we, and we, you might get all these, this extra information, but it doesn't mean it's like you're able to apply it like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's 100%. very, very, very challenging. I wanted to, we, we did talk a little bit about 
kind of ideal the people you're saying that are really nailing it how about some common like misconceptions about our own potential that we've talked a little bit about this kind of society but i'd be curious we have touched on some of these things but just just common misconceptions about you know people saying that oh we can't do this or we can't do that or whatever that society maybe has placed on them maybe we could start to change within our own life that you know we might not realize we're doing right because it's just what we've always done do you know what i mean yeah i mean common misconceptions is that you know that's going to be too hard or i can't do it or you know again those self-limiting beliefs i think one of the questions that i like to ask myself or to you know if i'm working in an hr role the people that i work with is is what i'm thinking right now 100 true and i'd say nine times out of ten it's not right. there's certain <laughs> there's certain elements that are not true but there's a certain you know drama that's applied to the thought or you know dramatization of of what you're experiencing and so really breaking down the truth of that self-limiting belief or that of that thing that's holding you back from what you really, really want, then going and seeking the truth from maybe what's not actually factual. So like, you know, in this conversation with that gal who wanted to move into health and wellness, right? That was literally the question that I asked her, you know, when she was like, I can't make as much money in health and wellness. And I said, well, is that hundred percent true? And she said, well, I just, I don't know if I can make as much money. And yeah. I, said, or I don't think, I don't think I can or whatever. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so how can we get you the information that you need so that you actually have in a formed factual stance on this situation? Well, I want, I need to go have some conversations. Great. Okay. Let's set a goal. How many conversations do you want to have between now and Friday? Five. Awesome. Who are three people that you could reach out to right now? So I think that's a, that's a big part is like discerning fact from not fact. Yeah. <laughs> <from fiction. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And approaching everything, 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 everything from a place of learning yeah right my place of learning it's a little bit off we're in kind of take a little bit of a like a detour, a detour here <laughs> but you did work at facebook for how, how long were you there four years almost four years okay almost four years why if you don't mind sharing why did you leave so i we don't have to get political or anything that's not what the no, point is i just no, i'm no, curious no, no i love let me be clear i love facebook the people that i work with there were absolutely fabulous. They were, it was the best job of my entire career. So I did not leave because I, you know, hated the company or anything like that. I left because I had an entrepreneurial itch that I wanted to scratch. And I had have it, I'd had it for, I don't know, eight plus years. And, uh, I don't have kids at this point in my life. Um, and so I really was having conversations with myself, I'd say over the last 18 months around, you know, if I'm going to start my own company, in the realm of human potential, what would I do? Why would I do it? And when would be the best time? And so at, you know, this stage of my life, I don't have any kids, like I mentioned, um, I don't have any, you know, big financial obligations other than my house and, you know, my car. And this was the time for me to try it out. And I always wanted to start a business or a company that was in support of people. And I took a leap of faith. I was going to say, how, how do you just like, Facebook, you know, it's it's Facebook. How do you just go, you know, peace out Facebook? I'm going to go do my own thing. How did you make that decision or, or come to that kind of like be okay with it, I guess? You know, man, it was really, really hard. It was the hardest decision I had ever made in my life. Um, but what made it easier were, were a few things. One, it was planning. So, you know, I, I hired a business coach to help walk me through like, okay, this would be my, um, my business plan. This would be like how I would offer different 
things to different audiences. This is what I would need on the books in order for me to jump from Facebook. So for me, it was, I needed to have three clients that I knew were waiting in the wings to work with me um, so that I could kind of jump from Facebook and go right into the work. And so once all those things were in place, then it was having the confidence to jump. And I think, you know, I, I was really lucky in that I worked with some really amazing leaders at Facebook. Like my, my managers were really, really wonderful. And they, and I told them like, eventually I, I do want to start my own company. I don't know when, I don't know what it's going to look like, but they were so supportive of me. And Facebook has a culture where, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are bred out of, uh, you know, being at Facebook. And so it, it's quite normal for people to leave and just start their own things. Um, but I also like kept a door open, I think too. So that helped me feel really comfortable that, you know, if I were to do the human reach for X amount of time and I wanted to go back, like, could, could I come back and having those conversations with people? And of course the, well, not, I shouldn't say of course, but the, the answer was, yes, of course we would, we would love to, to have you back and let's just keep the door open and keep in touch. And so, yeah, I think it was a combination of all those things that helped me feel really comfortable, but I'll tell you the first 90 days on my own, like not having a, you know, a paycheck from Facebook and the benefits and all that stuff was scary AF. It was so terrifying. It was so, but I had to keep reminding myself like, okay, this is just like when you're learning to drive. It was really terrifying at first. It gets better and better. And sure enough, it did, but it, it was really scary. I will tell you, you say to anybody in that, in a position, maybe that they're going to kind of take that, take that leap of faith or just, you know, they're on the edge of it. And it's just, obviously it's hard that last push to just do it. What would you say based on your experience to anybody in that, in that position? Well, I will say from my experience, the biggest catalyst was regret, like having regret or the, the concept of having regret. And so you didn't want to have any. I didn't want to have any. And so like when I was 60 or 70 years old, I didn't want to look back on my life and say, God damn it. I wish I just would have taken that leap of faith and done that thing that I've always wanted to do. And so that to me was the driving force behind why I made, ultimately made the move. And now that I'm in it, you know, almost seven months now, it's been freaking awesome. It's been the ride of my life. And it's been, again, scary as hell, but it's also taught me a lot about myself. It's taught me a lot about what I'm capable of. It's taught me a lot about what I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> I've learned a lot about, you know, just normal business practices that I don't think I would have had an experience in had I not tried this thing. So yeah, I just, you know, to ask yourself, will you have regret if you don't try doing this thing? If, if you will, then it's worth it, right? Or how, if you can't make the full leap, how could you have an A to B conversation with yourself instead of an A to Z conversation with yourself? Um, and so for me, it was like, you know, seeing if I could get some of those clients waiting in the wings before I, I started. And that helped me feel better about making the leap because I had a little bit of a safety net. Yeah, 100%. And I'm curious because do you, do you have any experience? So do you talk to like somebody to help with the business side of things? Had you would you have any kind of marketing and like, you know, commerce training or anything like that? Or was this just like, was that all new you had to learn? I definitely had to learn the marketing side of um, starting a business 100%. I think I have a good brain around it um, in terms of like branding and, and things like that. But, you know, how to set up a great website that has people want to have a conversation with you, how to tell stories in a way that's compelling. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, and making sure that like what I was offering people actually needed. So like having, having conversations and doing some market research to see if there was a market out there for the things I wanted to do. 
So no, I did not have a ton of experience, but I had a great experience in coaching, great experience with, you know, obviously HR type of things and working with well-known companies. Um, but I needed to marry that to some of those other things that I would need to be successful. So that's why I ultimately hired a coach. Right. And that had to have been another aspect, like something that was really scary when you're leaving this position to go do something. Now it's like, these are new things that you had never done. Like a lot of it was new things that you had, you had no experience with no formal education or training in it. And it's that whole, uh, analogy of like jumping out of the plane, but building the parachute on the way down, right? Like just going for it and, and, and trying to figure it out as you go. Would you, uh, obviously not for everybody, but would you, if somebody's like, again, wanting to do it, do you recommend it? Hell yeah. hundred percent. Totally recommend it. I think that regardless of what happens, you are going to learn a lot about yourself and what you're capable of. And that in and of itself is beyond the like financial security and all that stuff. That is most important. I think in this pursuit of self-development and self-growth and learning what you're capable of and what you do in the face of adversity and how you overcome those things uh, outside of the the comfort of having a, a paycheck. Right. Just go for it. I love it. That's wonderful. Thanks so much. We're uh, coming to the end here. So I really appreciate having you on here to chat. This is so many great things. You have such a neat perspective. It's awesome. Thanks, Harrison. It's been so fun. It's been great to get to know you and have the conversation too. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. It was great chatting with AJ. And and again, I hope you got something out of it. It's a quite a neat perspective that he has and, and all this stuff. It's phenomenal. If you enjoyed the conversation with him and you want to uh, see what he's up to or listen to his podcast, it's called Share, Inspire, Repeat. You can find that everywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, you can also check that. He has a website for that, Share, Inspire, Repeat. But he also has his personal company, which is called The Human Reach. Uh, and you can go to thehumanreach.com and connect with him there. He's on Instagram at AJ Mises, which is A-J-M-I-Z-E-S. He's a great guy and has lots of great things to say, obviously. So if you could uh, get a chance to maybe work with him one-on-one, that would be awesome. If not, check out the podcast, of course. Follow him on Instagram. Thank you anyway for being here and for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Remember to keep loving life and we'll chat with you next time. For more information about this episode or the show itself, head on over to HarrisonKingOfficial.com. There you'll be able to find the show notes, transcriptions, and videos for every episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk About Life Pod. Now get out there and have a deep, meaningful conversation in your own life. We'll chat with you next time.